Welcome back to Chasing Dramas. Today is an exciting day where we discuss the events of the last two episodes of Empresses in the Palace, Hou Gong, Zhen Huan Zhuan. We are your hosts, Kathy and Karen. Well, I can't believe we're here. We'll discuss these two episodes in two parts. In this podcast episode, we will discuss more of the plot details of what happened, plus some character and plot analysis. We will also have a part two where we discuss the history of the events that occur in these last two episodes and our final thoughts on the drama. We thought it would be too much to combine it into one podcast episode, so we are splitting them into two. Now, without further ado, let's start our podcast. In the last episode, episode seventy-four, we had our hearts broken with the death of the wonderful seventeenth prince Guo Junwang. Jin Huan's sister Yu Yin also decided to follow her husband into the afterlife. So those were the two major deaths in episode seventy-four. That utterly drained any emotion left from Jin Huan to the emperor, and we now head to the end game. Curiously, Jin Huan's doctor Wei Lin, a student of her good friend Wen Shichu, notifies Jin Huan that Nin Pin, the former horse tamer maid turned concubine, is asking for two things: one, the aphrodisiac fragrance that An Lingrong left over, and two, cinnabar. Cinnabar or Zhusha is a form of mercury sulfide, largely used for its Bright red pigmentation. However, it does have some toxicity to it. As the doctor informs Jin Huan, using cinnabar has detrimental effects to the emperor because the emperor has been consuming medicine made from Chinese alchemy. The medicine contains ingredients that, while originally may not be toxic, will turn toxic once cinnabar is added. This will cause a person to become much weaker over time. Jin Huan doesn't share her suspicions with Wei Lin, the doctor, but we know that Ning Pin is out for revenge. She was in love with the seventeenth prince herself, and learning that the emperor killed him must have prompted her to act. The major topic of conversation now within the palace is who will be the next emperor. Establishing the heir is of the utmost importance, and therefore the emperor needs to decide this position sooner rather than later. Of the two remaining princes that are eligible for the crown prince title are the fourth son and the sixth son. There's heated discussion of who the ministers think should succeed the emperor. Some ministers go so far as saying that if the sixth son is made the heir, his mother Jin Huan should be killed to prevent her from amassing too much power. There is precedent of this dating back all the way to the Han Dynasty. The emperor himself decides to converse with Jin Huan over this matter. After all, she is the one raising both children. Jin Huan, in a surprising move to the emperor, promotes her adoptive son, the fourth son, rather than her birth son, the sixth son. We know a large reason for this is because the sixth prince isn't the real child of the empress. If he were indeed made emperor, that would cause so many issues to the lineage of the Qing Dynasty. 
I also think, though, for Jin Huan, she's actually relatively selfish for her son, or she's acting selfishly for her son. She knows how unhappy life in the Imperial Palace is with all the scheming, deception, and pressure. I think she wants for her birth son, the sixth prince, a carefree life that his father once had, meaning the 17th prince. The emperor continues to bait her with the position of empress. Jin Huan kindly refuses this title. Both of these refusals play quite well in the eyes of the emperor because it shows him she is not in it for power. She is making decisions for the prosperity of the empire. If she had any other response, he probably would have killed her. From this point forward, though, we are now going to see moves towards the emperor's demise. This is largely instigated by Ningpin, but aided and abetted by the doctor Weilin and Jinhuan. Ningpin bumps into Jinhuan in the garden, where she tells Jinhuan the origins of the persimmon silk trees, or Shu, planted in her palace. They were gifted to Jinhuan by the 17th prince, and Ningpin requested to have them moved to her palace instead to avoid suspicion. Ningpin then whispers into Jinhuan's ear, Bia or make him pay. Who is that him? Well, we both know, or everybody knows, it's the emperor. And these two ladies will do just that. The way these two ladies do it is slow and steady. The emperor continues to consume these Chinese alchemy pills, which we'll talk about in the history portion of our podcast in the next episode. And these Pills make him seem on the surface to be increasing his lifespan and increasing his energy levels, but underneath is actually killing him. Ningpin continuously tells the emperor how much younger he seems, and Jin Huan instructs the doctor Wei Lin to make sure the emperor doesn't realize he's not really enjoying the effects of these pills. There's this one line that is actually quite hilarious, where the doctor says that Ningpin is using these fragrances originating from Anlingrong. Remember, Anlingrong was uh, a concubine, one of the old friends of Jin Huan's, who made these uh, aphrodisiac fragrances to uh, capture the attention of the emperor. And so the doctor says that Ningpin is using these fragrances and the emperor is happily enjoying these uh, aphrodisiacs. With the empress out of the picture, no one will tattle about the components of these pills or this fragrance. So the emperor is pretty much just in the hands of uh, Ningpin and basically being played by her. What this tells me is that Jinhuan, Ningpin, and Wei Lin are all in on the fact that the emperor is being poisoned. Part of me wonders why Wei Lin is okay being complicit in this. But perhaps he realizes being loyal to Jinhuan is more beneficial to him than the emperor. He probably also saw how his mentor Wen Shichu suffered at the hands of the emperor and therefore wants some revenge himself. In any case, ladies and gentlemen, if there is one thing I've learned from this drama, it is that you always, always, always want to have an imperial doctor on your side. He will not only help you when you are sick and identify any poisonous things that may uh, 
uh, kill you, he will hide your pregnancy, and then also help you kill your enemies. As the emperor is enjoying spending time with some of his younger concubines, his health drastically deteriorates, and he begins to cough blood. Shortly after, we hear he's on bed rest. Now, this is where we see Jin Huan also subtly killing the emperor. She instructs servants to place court dossiers in front of the emperor, for he will surely look at them. While on the surface, this looks like she's doing him a favor by ensuring that he's managing the empire, she is actually causing him to be further weakened. It takes a lot of energy to review these dossiers and run the empire, right? And we know from Jin Huan that if these documents are placed in front of the emperor, he will look at them. If Jin Huan really wanted the emperor to rest, she'd stop him from working. But she's not. She's doing quite the opposite. This is very sneaky, but incredibly effective. We could say that um, Operation Kill the Emperor, or the timeline of it, is turned into high gear when the emperor, after several months of rest, wanders the summer palace gardens and sees his sixth son and the 17th prince's son playing with each other. As the half-brothers get older, their appearances are also becoming more similar. The emperor watches these two boys and notes that they indeed almost look like real brothers, not just cousins. The realization of this causes him to go into shock and pass out. When hearing this information from her sister Yu Rao, Jin Huan rightly becomes worried that the emperor is once again becoming suspicious of his sixth son's birth. Even while bedridden, the emperor instructs his spy to confirm this for him once and for all. Jin Huan, interestingly, hears about the spy from, of course, the trusty eunuch Su Pei Sheng. While lying in bed, Jin Huan comes to visit the emperor. She comes bearing some very troubling news that she was told not to share, but decides to share with the emperor anyways. She does this knowing full well she will agitate him further and cause additional harm to his health. What is this information? Apparently, right after the emperor became bedridden, one of his younger concubines was caught uh, cheating on him with an imperial guard, which to my mind is like the plotline of so many other dramas, but whatever. <laughs> Upon hearing this, the emperor is furious. He shouts that these two should be killed immediately and in the most gruesome fashion. How dare they act this way? He is the emperor. He has the mandate of heaven. Why do they all betray him? Why? Chen Jianbin's acting is amazing here. You can truly see that he's furious, but weakened. He wants to do something, but he can't. The emperor hunches over with blood spilling out onto his bed covers. I don't even know from where, though. His nose? His mouth? Yeah, we don't really say. That's why I was like, blood is just coming out. Uh, and gee, isn't that a great question? Why do they all betray him? There are probably a million answers to that question. But my favorite right now is look at Jin Huan. She doesn't even flinch at him passing out and having blood spill out. She's probably inwardly cheering that she finally is pushing this man she hates to death. 
Like her glare is so intense. It does look like the emperor is on his deathbed. The ladies of the imperial harem are all kneeling outside his bedroom. Chen Huan dismisses them and declares that if anyone wants an audience with the emperor, she must be notified first. Chen Huan essentially takes control of the palace. Along with Huang Guifei and Jing Guifei, the three ladies make preparations for the emperor's possible death. Elsewhere, Ning Pin saves the day as she happens to see the emperor's spy leaving the sixth prince's room. She enters to see the servants all unconscious on the floor. With a sigh of relief, she sees that the prince is still alive, but notice that his foot was pricked for blood. Part of me feels like this is a little bit of a plot convenience, like uh, why would Ningpin be anywhere near Zhenhuan's children's uh, bedchambers, but here we are. And luckily she just so happens to walk by when this guy, the spy, is doing something shady. She recognizes the gravity of the situation and hurriedly brings the two children, the prince and princess, over to Zhenhuan and finally asks her the question, who is the father of these children? Why would the Emperor's spy want to do another blood test? Episode 76 begins with Ningpin continuing the conversation with Zhenhuan. Zhenhuan actually kneels to Ningpin to thank her and reveals that those children are the 17th Prince's children. This piece of information comes as a complete shock to Ningpin, but she is surprised and happy to hear this. This news also further fuels her drive to take action against the emperor because it is evident that the emperor is suspicious about the truth and uh, she cannot wait any longer. Ningping rushes off while Jinhuan instructs her head eunuch to get rid of the emperor's spy. Now, this part I think is a little unbelievable. How would it be that a group of eunuchs can go ahead and capture the spy who I would think has a lot of martial arts knowledge and ability, and kill him so easily. Like, I feel like that was a little convenient, but hey, we've talked about this repeatedly and we will talk about it again. Eunuchs are quite powerful in the palace, so who knows? But also, couldn't they have done that before, or killed him before, to say it was an accident? But I guess the emperor would find out. Something else I want to say is, um, we're not doctors and I can't really see how reliable these blood tests are, but wouldn't, uh, even though the emperor is not the father of the sixth prince, but wouldn't his blood still mix because they're essentially blood related, like they're cousins, right? So it's not going to be as uh, clear cut and dry as not being the son of Wenshu Chu. Like, I feel like there's going to be some iffiness to this blood test. That's just my thought. Ningpin, back at her palace, grabs a pill she pretends to be from the Taoist monks, but I'm pretty sure is straight up poison, and tricks the emperor into eating it as she tends to him. You can see her hatred as she pretends to be caring to him, but cannot wait for him to die. The emperor is actually like, oh, you're so much more mellow in the years since you've come to the palace, and she's like, mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> Jinhuan also arrives, and these two revenge-filled women exchange knowing glances. Now is the time for the last conversation between the emperor and Jinhuan. 
In this conversation, Jin Huan finally bears her heart to the emperor, and it is definitely not what he wants to hear. The acting between the two in this scene is absolutely dynamic. The emperor doesn't even try to hide and asks where his spy is. Jin Huan bluntly tells the truth that his spy is no longer needed and has been dealt with. The emperor understands that she killed him. He then asks directly whether the sixth prince is his son. Jin Huan gives a rather circular answer that, yes, of course, all citizens are his children. He makes the observation that currently the entire world is his, but it will soon be Jin Huan's. Even on his deathbed, the emperor is still an arrogant asshole. The emperor wants Jin Huan or demands that Jin Huan calls him Silong once more, her nickname to him all those years ago. She hasn't said those words in many years. Jin Huan coldly does not indulge him. She's done doing that. She tells him that the woman that entered the palace years ago that would call him Silong, she died and you personally killed her. I am no longer Jin Huan, but Niu Huru Jin Huan. Recognizing that things can't go back to where they were before, the emperor states that she must hate him for what he did to the 17th prince. Jin Huan does not deny it, and you can see the rage, anger, and resentment in her eyes. Sun Li does an amazing job here. She reveals that even if she hates the emperor, she will take care of the princess Jinghe, the daughter of Wen Shuchu and Shen Meizhuang. This news infuriates the emperor. He tries to sit up but falls back on the bed. He's too weak, but he's still breathing heavily. Such a great acting choice. You can really see that he's like trying to do something, but he just can't. Jin Huan retorts that she is just doing what he has done to others. Compared to what he's done to his brothers, his trusted advisors, she's nowhere near as deadly. Jin Huan tells him that she's hated every single touch and every moment spent with him since her return to the palace. The emperor at this point is beside himself. He wants to kill her, but he doesn't have any more energy to call his servants. Jin Huan continues to goad him until at long last, he dies, his eyes wide open. After he dies, Jin Huan finally calls in Silong and closes his eyes. She admits that this perhaps was all a mistake, but for him, the emperor, no tears are shed. She only sheds tears outside, announcing the death of the emperor. Ladies and gentlemen, the emperor is finally dead. I implore everyone to watch this scene. It is absolutely a must-see and probably one of the top scenes in this entire drama. Some fun behind-the-scenes information about uh, this scene, actually. When the emperor died, Chen Jianbin, the actor, purposefully kept his eyes open to convey the emperor's anger and regret. There's a saying in Chinese which is called mu, or to say uh, the person did not die in peace. And that's when your eyes remain open after death. Mm-hmm. Well, Chen Jianbin needed to wait for Jin Huan's actress Sun Li to come and close his eyes. However, 
she was too immersed in her own role that she'd take a, a few seconds too long, so he would end up blinking. After a few tries, he would, um, he apparently told her that if she waited any longer, he would have to just close his eyes on his own and die in peace. <laughs> um, but as you can see in the scene, he was able to, uh, hold it or not blink for long enough for her to actually close his eyes. <laughs> this is hilarious, but also a testament to the commitment of both of these actors in this scene. A funny anecdote or a story for this uh, very heavy topic of his death. With the death of the emperor comes a new dawn. As per history, the new emperor will be the fourth prince, Hongli. He is the famous Qianlong Emperor. After the funeral where the new emperor was declared, the imperial court heads up the stairs of the Forbidden Palace to greet the new emperor. This man, who was originally disliked by his father, is now the ruler of the entire Qing Empire, a testament to his own fortune, hard work, and drive. Jun Quan herself is now the powerful Empress Dowager. On the day of the coronation, she visits the old empress who is still locked up in her palace. It has been four years since the emperor banished her. This empress is alone and destitute in her palace. She seemingly has aged significantly these last few years. The contrast between her and Jin Huan is quite distinct. Jin Huan is dressed lavishly in gold, the color befitting her new title. Her hair, clothing, lipstick, and makeup have all leveled up to reflect her new status as Empress Dowager. Even her voice, uh, the sound production lowered the voice dub's uh, range to make her seem older. While the Empress, on the other hand, is in much darker colors of black, blue, silver, and red, a far cry from the powerful Empress she once was. The Empress still believes that the new Emperor will name her Empress Dowager. That is her dream. We've discussed that she wants to be Mu Hou Huang Tai Hou. Jin Huan was never going to allow that. She informs the Empress that she, Jin Huan, and the new emperor have decided that she will still be considered empress while she lives. After her death, she will be buried with concubines rather than as an empress with the emperor. As the emperor previously said, in life or in death, he will never see her again. This is the biggest insult that the empress can ever receive. She worked so hard for her entire life to leave the fate of a secondary daughter or Shu Chu daughter, but it backfired on her. After she dies, she will never leave that fate of being secondary. As a final kick, Jin Huan tells her that the Empress will also be removed from history. No one will ever know of her. Shortly after this meeting, we hear news that the Empress passed away. No one is particularly sad or surprised. After all, she was probably the most hated person in the entire palace. One day, the new emperor comes to visit Jin Huan to discuss some family matters. The 19th prince would like to formally adopt the 17th prince's son to be their own. This son was raised in their family since his parents died, and Jin Huan has no objections. But the emperor notes that if this happens, the 17th prince's line will have no heir. 
Jin Huan says that they can always find someone worthy to take this mantle. With this, the Emperor also recounts an anecdote that we've discussed on this podcast about how trouble occurred when a mother overly spoiled her younger son compared to the older son. If this were the case with birth sons, what would happen with an adoptive older son? The story is, of course, Zhen Bo Ke Duan Yu Yan, which we discussed in our recap of episode 28. Jin Huan gets the hint from the emperor, and she formally announces that she would like the sixth prince to be moved over to the 17th prince's line. The emperor, of course, hardly agrees to this and heads back to his palace. Jin Huan recognized that the emperor was testing to see how she would potentially treat her birth son in the future, so she took this step to prevent the emperor from ever becoming suspicious of his brother and thereby kill him, like his father killed so many of his brothers. And in this way, as Jin Huan states, the 17th prince can finally have his son call him father. This, in the end, is probably the best ending she could provide for her son. The drama, after 76 episodes, ends with Jin Huan, now the most powerful woman in the Qing Empire, reminiscing about all of the events of her life from when she was a young, naive girl just entering to the palace to now the seasoned and hardened woman we see today. And that is all 76 episodes of Empresses in the Palace. Wow, how are you feeling, Karen? Bittersweet, actually, but kind of excited to be wrapping this up as we've been talking about it for a long time and moving to our next project. Before we, you know, finish for today, let's actually dissect a little bit about what happened to these characters and some of the plot. So first off, I want to talk about the last conversation between the Emperor and Jin Huan. One cannot deny that Jin Huan had genuine affection for the Emperor and perhaps love when she first entered the palace, and he treated her as a shadow of his first beloved wife. When finding out that she was nothing but a replacement, Jin Huan could not handle this truth and left the palace where she began her relationship with the 17th prince. However, early on in the drama, she wanted to have that one true love. While she recognized it would be difficult with the emperor, she had hoped for that true affection. This, you know, looking back years for her later, is a little naive in my opinion. She knew what her position would be in the palace, and wanting this romantic relationship was never going to be a reality. While unfortunate, it was not unexpected. She would have had her heart broken. The emperor, I also believe, expected way too much of his women. And this probably was a product of, you know, this drama, but also of his time. He, being the almighty emperor, expected everyone to bow down to him. Indeed, he had many women who clearly loved him. Huang Hou, Hua Fei, Duan Fei, but he only cared for Chun Yuan, thus hurting all of these other women. And then his question of why everyone would betray him was a good one. Think about how suspicious he is and how unforgiving. He can discard women easily and punishes anyone who threatens his power. I don't think there is a single person in the palace who did not scheme against him at one point, if not only to get his attention. In the end, I do feel that he loved Jin Huan, but realized it too late. 
He always thought he loved Chunyuan more and because of that did unforgivable things to Jinhuan. You only recognize what you've lost once it's too late. And the emperor in his last conversations finally realized that he was the one to cause his own downfall and the betrayal of so many around him. Right, for me, I think that the emperor finally fell in love with Jinhuan when she returned to the palace. But like you said, Karen, it was a little too little too late. The emperor, though, did show her his affection in several ways, including not killing her when he killed the 17th prince. The emperor killed poor Yingguirin without a second thought, and that was when nothing actually happened between her and his son, the third prince. I also want to pivot to talk about the empress Chunyuan. She's the woman that played an integral role to the lives of everyone in the palace, but was never seen. I will commend the emperor's devotion to her, but I do think this is another example of loving what you've lost. In episode 34, we recounted the story of Emperor Han Wudi and Li Furen. She died young and refused to let the emperor see her face, making him pine for her long after her death. I feel like this is somewhat similar. Chunyuan died in her prime. The emperor only has fond memories of her and did not see her age or see her scheme in the palace. Perhaps the empress was right. The emperor would have tired of Chunyuan. There is some interesting discussions about Chunyuan. Some people believe that she is the innocent woman who cared for her sister and staff and loved the emperor. But there are others who believe that she is the ultimate schemer who, on her deathbed, knowing that her sister killed her, begged for the emperor to take care of her sister, Yixiu, causing the empress to never be anything more than Chunyuan's sister. What do you guys think? Karen, what do you think? I would like to believe the former, that she was a little bit too naive and died because she was too nice. If her sister didn't kill her, somebody else would have. That's my belief. Of the women who remained in the palace, we have Huan, obviously, and we also have Huang Guifei, formerly Duanfei, Jing Guifei, and Xing Pin. There may be a few other women who survived, but they were secondary characters and therefore not mentioned. What I found incredibly interesting is that these three women all entered the palace before Huan. Throughout the drama, they remain relatively reserved. They don't have as much political capital since their families or clans were not nearly as powerful as some of the other well-known families, and therefore they kept their head down. Each of these three women did not actively engage in tactics to capture the emperor's attention and were kind of, in their own way, very nice to Huan and other women in the palace. It is therefore not surprising that these three women survived to the end when so many others perished. Of the three women, Huang Guifei, or the previous Duanfei, was probably the most devoted to the emperor. She, in her own way, truly loved him. She knew that she took the fall for Huafei's miscarriage, but she didn't care that much. In this episode, she refuses to meet Huan after the emperor's death, I think because she probably knew Huan had something to do with it, 
and couldn't bear to see her or as the story tells us she was just too heartbroken that she needed to uh, continue to cry about the emperor's death. One woman who could have survived but decided her own fate was Ningping. We see her end her life after the death of the emperor. She is a fan favorite character and there are many reasons why. Despite her low birth and her oftentimes antagonistic personality, she was able to maintain favor in the palace and gained power. She did not deign to participate in palace schemes, even though she was clearly capable of playing the game. Her love for the 17th prince is truly touching. She, unlike Yu Yin, loves him but does not want to keep him for herself. She recognized that fate meant she will never have a chance with the 17th prince, and instead of sabotaging his lover, she does everything in her power to help Jin Huan. She protected the 17th prince by protecting and helping Jin Huan. When hearing that Jin Huan's children were indeed the 17th princes, she immediately took action to protect them once and for all. It also speaks volumes that Jin Huan trusts Ningping enough to tell her the secret. I personally don't think Ningping or Yi needed to end her life, but I guess it makes sense. There's nothing left for her to live for. She got the justice she wanted and completed her revenge for both herself and the 17th prince by helping end the emperor's life. Of all of the ladies in the palace, she ranks very highly amongst my favorites, probably up there with Shen Mei Zhuang. And as we said here, it's not hard to see why. Outside of the women in the palace, let's talk about two men. The first is the newly crowned emperor, the fourth prince or Hongli. We'll talk about this historical figure in the part two episode, but I want to dive into his character right now. This prince is sharp as a whip. He easily goaded his brother into meeting their eighth uncle, which ultimately led to his third brother's downfall. This fourth prince knows how to keep his mouth shut and when to help his adoptive mother, Jin Huan. In their mother-son arrangement, both Jin Huan and the fourth prince know that it is advantageous to be in lockstep with each other, whether it is to gain favor or to keep their heads down. However, this relationship still can't replicate the true bond between Jin Huan and her own son, the sixth prince. The fourth prince knows this, which is why he bluntly asks Jin Huan about the sixth prince at the end of the series. The story of Zheng Bo, Ke Duan Yu Yan, is the fourth prince, now the emperor's warning to his mother about the sixth prince. If Jin Huan had other ideas, such as scheming for the sixth prince to claim power once he's older, the fourth prince might be forced to act, as his father once did, to kill his brother. Jin Huan understood the risks and willingly took her son out of the equation. To the new emperor, Jin Huan acts as a great surrogate mother, but more importantly, as a tactician for the emperor, just as the previous empress dowager was to her son. I think this was probably the best arrangement for these two. Additionally, I do want to point out that the fourth prince never formally asked his mother, or at least we never saw him in this drama formally ask his mother to push him to be crown prince. She hinted several times that she wanted him to become the emperor versus her own son, the sixth prince. I really 
uh, admire the fourth prince in this drama, at least, because sure, he schemes, but he was never outright in showing how much he wanted the throne, which I'm sure he really wanted. In other dramas, uh, it was not as subtle. Lastly, let's discuss the eunuch Su Pei Sheng, the man who came out number one in our ranking of the cleverest person in the imperial harem. But during the last few episodes, he acted more and more in favor for Chen Huan. Whether this was to find the letters the 17th prince sent, or to tip Chen Huan off about the emperor's spy. What he did was, in my mind, blatantly against the orders of the emperor. It could be said that Su Peishong has been grateful for Jin Huan's rescue of him when his relationship with Jin Xi came out, but I think more importantly, it is because he is the ultimate insider in the imperial harem. He knew full well who would have power in the imperial harem once the empress fell. Not only that, but who would have power once the emperor dies. Jin Huan has two sons, both favored by the emperor. No matter who became the next emperor, she would become the empress dowager. It is better to curry favor with her than even the emperor because Su Peisheng needed to plan for his own future. This is exactly why the imperial doctor, in my mind, decided to give the cinnabar to Ningping. They were all planning for the future. And who is in that future? Jin Huan. And look at that. Right now, at the end of the drama, Su Peisheng, he's the senior eunuch at the end of the series. Su Peisheng's story tells us that you need to treat everyone with kindness because one never knows who will be the last one standing. If you recall, An Lingrong, even on her deathbed, treated Su Peisheng as a dog. And what was her result? Her death. The moral of the story, it's always good to have a few more allies, especially one as powerful and as important as the emperor's head eunuch. Well, that's it for this episode. We are finally done discussing the plot and characters of Hou Gong, Jin Huan Zhuan, Empresses in the Palace. We have one more episode where we will cover this drama. We will talk about the history not covered in this episode, behind-the-scenes stories about filming, the cast, and our final thoughts. If there's anything specific you'd like for us to cover in this episode, please let us know. Thank you all for listening, and hope to catch you next time.